like to read from the text for this, this morning's service, and that's out of John. If you'd like to follow me, it's the Gospel of John in chapter 12, if you'd like to follow along, and that's uh, verses 12 through 19. <clears throat> the next day, a great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel! And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, because it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard uh, that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the world has gone after him. And the world continues to go after him. Hey, well, it's Palm Sunday. It's spring. And we're in a winter storm warning. Woo! Bring it on! It's all you got! <laughs> Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a celebration of the largest earthly crowd ever to see Jesus while he was on the earth. It was in Jerusalem. It was the week before he gave his life for us. He came into Jerusalem. The place was plugged because it was the annual Passover and tens, hundreds probably of thousands of people had come to Jerusalem for the Passover. The Bible says they'd heard about this Jesus. But in this passage it says they went out to see him. That hearing about him wasn't enough. It's like, yeah, I've heard about him. I've heard about all the stuff he can do. Now I want to see for myself. I want to see Jesus. And so they went and they saw. And they cried out. You know, at the very center of the experience for us as followers of Jesus Christ is the supernatural ability to see Jesus. I believe that this is meant to be a universal experience for every believer that we should be seeing Jesus. I mean, having the kinds of experiences with God that are so, you know, inexplicable and just seeing him move. So we go, that was Jesus. You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> I love seeing you guys. <laughs> You're like, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I think that's meant for everybody. To be able to see Jesus, to be able to walk with him in such a way that we say, that was Jesus. That was Jesus. Some of you maybe are a little skeptical about that, and uh, I want to help you today. Actually, I've developed a couple of scientific tests that will demonstrate to you that you also have the capacity to see Jesus. All right? First one is this one. Show me the next slide. Uh, uh, Oh, okay. Oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. So, some of you can see that center. The center of that image are four dots. I want you to stare at that. 
You can blink, but try not to look away. I know it's hard not to look at me, because I'm so handsome. (laughs) But just stare at that for 30 seconds, would you? Because in just a minute, I'm going to I'm going to give you a blank screen to look at. And we'll see what happens. That's all. This is one of those tests to see if you're a person who can see Jesus. So just stare at that center of that image. Just a few more seconds. And keep, keep staring at it, but in just a few seconds, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and when you open them, there'll be a blank screen there. And I want you, when you open them, I want you to stare at the center of the blank screen, okay? And be patient. Just keep staring at the center of the blank screen. Okay, close your eyes. Change the slide. Now open your eyes and stare at the center of the blank screen. That's actually a trick. Uh, As a snake oil salesman there, actually... Has to do with the rods and the cones in the back of your eyeball staring at a negative image, and then when it's cast on a bright light, then that's what your body does. So, but you saw Jesus, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> I went to church and saw Jesus. <laughs> Some of you are going like, I didn't see anything. How many of you are like me? You know those magic pictures you look at, and people are saying, "Oh no, there's a whale or something," and you're looking at it like, "What? No, you got to hold it farther. No, you can't. Don't stare. You, you blur your eyes." That's like, there's not, I think it's some kind of big conspiracy. I mean, how many of you see that something in those magic pictures? See, you're part of the conspiracy. I don't know when your meeting was, but there's nothing on those things. How many of you don't see anything like me on those things? Exactly. Okay, look, I, this next test that I developed as part of my doctoral ministry, the doctoral program, is, is the definitive test to show you that you can see Jesus. And what I'm going to show you in just a minute is I'm going to show you a slide of two identical dolphins jumping out of the water. Only they're not really identical. And those that God has given eyes to see, you will be able to discern some slight differences between the two, okay? So I just want you to be open to the fact that you might be a person who can see slight differences between these otherwise two identical dolphins. Are you ready? Okay, show them the slide. What? I, they, they see a difference, Nina. I don't know. It's like dolphins to me. I know. <laughs> oh, porpoises. Oh, that was the problem. Sorry. Thank you, Pat. Been part of this for 20 years just to correct me today on the dolphin or the. Of all the things I've been wrong about, you. Oh, you said, what's the porpoise of this? Wow. Did you say moo? What? Moo. All right. Listen, Palm Sunday is about seeing Jesus. Palm Sunday is about moving away from being content to hearing about Jesus and seeing Jesus. And that passage that Tony read for us a little while ago went like this. And uh, not this, but it went like this. And... It's about a great crowd that had gathered, a great crowd that had heard about, among other things, the miracle that Jesus did, recorded in the Gospel of John. One of the miracles that they were all excited about was what, you know? 
the raising of Lazarus, they were, he was dead, and Jesus rose him from the dead, raised him from the dead. So they were very excited about that, and they'd heard about it. They were in Jerusalem, they heard that this Jesus who had risen Lazarus from the dead, raised Lazarus from the dead, that he was coming into the city. And so they all, they all crowded because they wanted to move from being content to hearing about him to seeing him. And I think this is a step of development meant for every single authentic follower of Jesus Christ. Not to be content with just hearing about him, knowing the stories, but moving into a relationship with God where you see him move, you actually see Jesus move as we've been seeing him move pretty dramatically around this place lately. So um, I want to work through this passage just briefly with you together this morning in hopes of encouraging you to be in hot pursuit of seeing Jesus. Now, probably a lot of you have been in the church a while, and you've been to another Palm Sunday service, and you know that the church tends to visit one of these four passages in the Gospels, and so some of these words are very familiar to you. But for the sake of those, we love it here at the Vineyard, that some of you, like me, when you came to the Lord, you said you don't even know which way to hold the Bible. So for the sake of those who are newer, let me just work through some of these words that might be unfamiliar to you. The first one is they were shouting this word, Hosanna. Hosanna, and we were singing it over and over again this morning. And Hosanna is a transliteration of a Greek word that came from a Hebrew word, which, which ha- it has two edges, a double-edged sword word. And one edge of the sword, one, one meaning of the word Hosanna, is an exclamation of praise that says, Lord, you are mighty to save. You're the one who can save us. We recognize the supremacy of Jesus. And Hosanna, you're the one who can save us. But at the same time, on the other side of the sword of this word is a call to save me. So it has two points to it. As you yell out, Hosanna, you are saying, I recognize the supremacy of Jesus Christ, that he alone is the Son of God who came as a, as a sacrifice for my sins. And now that I recognize that, I'm also saying Hosanna and saying, and save me, save me. So that's what you're doing when you're yelling out the word Hosanna. That's what these people were doing. They were recognizing that of all the prophets who had ever come, anybody who had ever come, in the name of Yahweh God, in the name of the God of these Israelites, they were recognizing somehow, on the basis of these miracles that he had done, that he was supreme, that he was the promised Messiah. And so they were all gathered together there, and they were yelling this word, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And uh, that was the idea behind their, their celebration. It was both an exclamation of praise, the capability of the Lord Jesus to save us, but also a desire for him to come and save them individually. They were throwing down stuff on the road in front of them, palm branches, according to the Gospel of John. The others say, cloaks and coats and stuff like that and this was common in the day to recognize or to honor a king coming the roots of this are deep in the old testament actually in second uh, kings chapter 9 verse 13 as jehu was being announced the king that they, they did this they threw stuff in front of him as he came as an honor now that we're in this era the greco-roman world this big shift that's happening in the world This throwing things down in front of someone was a way that they honored a coming king, a victorious king. It would be similar to like uh, confetti in our world, right? Ticker tape parade and the soldiers are coming home. It's like honoring, honoring them as the conquerors. And so this is similar to what's happening here. This Hosanna laying down these palm branches as they went along. Jesus came out on the foal of a donkey. 
If you read the Bible there, you see that's in fulfillment of a prophecy in Zechariah. But the purpose is as important as the fulfillment of the prophecy. The purpose in coming in the foal of a donkey was to symbolize that I'm coming in peace. I'm coming in peace. He had two options. He could have come on this little foal of a donkey or he could have come on a big horse. And a big horse would mean, I'm coming to conquer you. The conquering king would come in on the big horse. I'm coming to conquer you. But he came instead on the foal of a donkey saying, I'm bringing peace. Listen, God didn't send his son Jesus Christ to conquer us in that way, to, to crush us. But he came to rescue us from our predicament. He came to rescue us from the predicament of sin that we have in our lives. That's why Jesus came. So all this is happening. All this is happening. Everybody's so excited. And then there were these, get ready now, there were these people called the Pharisees. Yeah, you're mixed up here. We're going to have to go over there. That's not a gasp. If you're, if you're new to the church, sometimes you gasp when I say get ready. Sometimes when I say Pharisees, you say, dun, dun, dun. Because they were kind of the bad guys of the gospel. Jesus is always fussing with them. And this is going on like this. And so, so okay, are you ready? So there were the Pharisees. There you go, all right. And, and they were really, really upset about what was happening. And here's their response. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world is going after him. Now look, if these people were truly Jews who were waiting for the coming of the Messiah, they would have exactly had the opposite reaction. They would have said the same word. They would have said, look how the whole world's going after him, because we're going too. But look at what they said first. This is getting us nowhere. Religion, the protection of religious structures is always about us. It's always about us, no matter what the religion is, that when there's a power down from the authority, look, this is getting us nowhere. This isn't getting me what I want. Boy, there's an indication right now that God isn't in it. This is getting us nowhere. The church isn't about us. Now you can gasp. The gospel isn't about us. The gospel is about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the subject of the gospel. We are the object of the gospel. They say, this is getting us nowhere. The gospel's about the love of God being poured out. We're the objects of the love. That's the good part. But uh, the other thing I want to show you is the next, next part I want to emphasize. It says, many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. The whole thing of raising Lazarus from the dead. Because they'd heard, now they wanted to see him. Because they'd heard, they wanted to cross a line... And the line was to cross from hearing about him to seeing him. And I think lots of you have crossed that line. Probably plenty of you want to cross that line. Others of you are maybe nervous about that line. Some of you never knew there was a line. And you thought that being a Christian just meant like reading this thing over and over again and kind of hanging on to the stories. The stories are meant to draw you into an experiential life of the move of the Holy Spirit. And that's how we see Jesus. And this is where everything changes. They crossed the line. They went from hearing about him to seeing him. And their eyes saw him. And their hearts were filled with praise. And their lives were filled with power. So here's the point I'm I'm wanting to make with you today. Is that the key to living powerfully in Jesus Christ is developing this capacity of seeing him. Seeing what the Father's doing. You know, and in this sense, seeing Jesus in the world. 
You think about how many, how many blind eyes did Jesus open? That was like one of his specialties, wasn't it? It wasn't he making a point. He even told the Pharisees, he says, you guys are blind. And they said, we're not blind. And he says, yeah, if you weren't blind, you'd see who I am. And so he's always about opening the eyes. Opening the eyes so that we can see him. And I think this is meant for us today. That every single one of us as authentic followers of Jesus Christ is meant to be able to see him. See him in, in work. I mean, just see him. There would be no other explanation for what we see other than that's Jesus. So I know what you're wondering. You're saying, well, how do I go about developing this capacity of seeing Jesus? Well, let's just, let's just take a second and look at the problem and look at what's causing this problem in the first place. I want to give you four ways to be sure not to see Jesus. Some of you maybe are saying, okay, this is what I really came for. I don't want to see Jesus. I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Good, I'm going to give you four ways not to see him, all right? Four ways to protect yourself from seeing Jesus. Number one, spend lots of time staring at other Christians. If you don't want to see Jesus, just keep looking at us. Because listen now, we suck at this. We suck at being Jesus in the world. We do. We really do. We're terrible advertisement for Jesus. I think the world might come to Christ if it weren't for us. Right? But we understand something about that. We understand that Jesus is covering that for us. And so there's a powerful humility in that. All right? We're not being hypocrites as long as we say we're not perfect, as long as we're freely confessed. No, 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 no. Don't look at me. It's not me you want to be like. It's Jesus. But if you don't want to see Jesus, just keep looking around this mess. There's a mess here. I mean, it's a good thing that we're not somehow required to wear a list of sins on the outside of us, right? Because this place is a mess. I love it. I love every one of you. It's a mess. And so if you don't want to see Jesus, just keep being distracted by the imperfections of everybody else in this place. Okay? Because if you haven't been disappointed by us yet, hang on. There's still time. All right? Number two, if you don't want to see Jesus, settle for religion instead of relationship. And by religion, I mean just the mechanical following of the same thing over and over again. Be careful about this. Because maybe what's coming to your mind right now is, you know, the real highly structured religion where there's lots of repetition and stuff like that. But anything can become empty religion, including the vineyard. What do we do? We sing a few songs. Some guy stands up, welcomes you, take up an offering, sing another song. Tall, bald guy comes, talks, right? And then we do something, we go home. And we do pretty much the same thing. I mean, we're not fancy here, right? Nobody ever accused us of being fancy or organized around here, right? But even in that, though you're finding life in it, even in that, it can be you settle for the religion of it. You settle for the mechanism of it. I like the way that music, I like the whatever. And you settle for the function of it rather than seeing it as an opportunity to meet with God. You know, it must be hard to pick a church. If you're in a search for a church, it must be really hard for you. Going, yeah, well, I like this and I didn't like that. Probably driving home, you know, you get the little checklist, you know. I understand. But what if there was only one thing on the list? Do you think we can meet with God there? You think we can meet with God there? You think they'd let us meet with God? <laughs> you think we could see past that guy 
talks every week, <laughs> meet with God. Don't settle for religion if you want to see Jesus. Second, or third, sorry, defend your position as the center of your universe. If you want to not see Jesus, just keep insisting that you're the center of the universe and everything revolves around you. Because that way you'll be able to justify all your addictions, right? Mm-hmm. You'll be able to justify all your prejudices. As long as you're the center of the universe, then you have a responsibility to stay addicted and remain prejudiced so that you can stay in there, right? Because those are the walls that we use to keep anybody else from coming in. Doesn't it just mess things up when you fall in love? You fall in love, and then, and then like she wants space in the middle. And it's like, oh no, you're important, but you can't have the middle. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me in the gospel will find it. So Jesus is, you know, you fall in love with Jesus. <laughs> you get serious about following Jesus. And he wants the middle. He wants the whole middle. And then uh, number four, if you don't want to see Jesus, strive to live vicariously through someone else. You know what I mean by that? You know how you start by having some experiences with the Lord yourself, and then you hear you, you hook up with somebody or something, and they have bigger experiences? And then what happens is we get lazy, and we don't go rushing after experiences of our own out there, but we come to hear about the experiences that the, what, whoever, whoever we're living vicariously through. It happens all the time in churches in America, but the thing is, is apparently it's been happening for centuries, because Paul was chiding the Corinthians for saying, oh, some of you say... I follow Paul. Others say, I follow Apollos. He said, just follow Christ. What are you looking at us for? Right? We're your brothers. We're on the same common journey. We are not your models. And follow Jesus. So if you do those four things, I promise you, you won't see Jesus, okay? So in case you were hoping for some information about that today, there you go. Now what I want to give you now are four things you can do where you will be guaranteed to see Jesus. Guaranteed. And here's what I mean by the guarantee. That if you authentically do these four things and you come back to me and say, I didn't see Jesus, I will quit my job. I'm dead serious. Guaranteed. If you give yourself to these four things and come, you know, faithfully do those four things, I did not see Jesus, I will tender my resignation to the elders. Which I hope they will reluctantly receive, but you never know, right? (laughs) Here they are. Number one, you must be born again. you got to be born again. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See. We've made so much fuss about this being about how to get to heaven when we die that we've missed the word of Jesus when he said, you can't see the kingdom of God now. You won't see what Jesus is doing now unless you're born again. You must be born again to go to heaven. Yes, okay, big deal. Get born again so you can go to heaven. But we're not dead yet. Don't make me do Monty Python. Okay, well, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> I feel like I might like to go for a walk. We're not dead yet. We're still alive, and it's meant to be seen now. Seeing the move of Jesus, we must be born again. How are you born again? Do this. Number one, repent. Repent. You've got to turn away from your sin. You've got to turn away from... And what that means is get off of the center of the universe. 
Give it up to God. Give the control mechanism over to God. Repent from your sin. If you're clinging to your sin, what you're saying is, I'm going to stay in the middle. The Bible says, repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out and the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You're born again by repenting. You cling to your sin, insist on, oh, I got justification for this sin. You're not repenting. You're not getting born again. Second, confess. The Bible says if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess. I turn from my sin and I say, God, here, here's my sin. I confess it. I'm not trying to hide it. I'm not trying to justify it. I confess it as unrighteous. I confess it as a thing that's killing me, that's choking the life out of my life. I confess it. Number three, believe. Believe. You want to be born again? Repent, confess, believe. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who believed, to all who received him, to those who believed, he gave the right to become the children of God. It's believing. It's making an intentional decision to place our faith in Jesus Christ as we understand him. That's an, that's an act of the will. To place my faith in Jesus. Okay? I'm placing my faith in this belt to keep my pants up. I don't think about it anymore, right? I don't walk around going, man, I hope my pants are still up. I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I'm saved. It's an act of the will, and it's done. He said, if I do, then it is. So I do, and it is. How many of you still think about my pants falling down? Raise your hand. <laughs> Sorry about that. And then finally, you need to follow him. This is the fine print that in evangelism we don't get to fast enough. Being born again is following him. Like I said, Jesus, Jesus, like Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life is going to lose it. Whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will find it. It's about letting him rule. This is what it means to be born again. So you must be born again if you want to see. Number two, you need to practice the daily triumvirate. Bible, prayer, and worship. Triumvirate, that's a fun word. It's not in the Bible. It just means when three big things come together, like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, like executive, legislative, and judicial. Triumvirate. Can't believe I remembered that without looking. It's like baseball, basketball, and football. Which are the real sports, right? Because soccer isn't really a sport. <laughs> and nobody plays hockey in Columbus, apparently. <laughs> well, they're not. At a team, but nobody playing, right? These are, this is a triumvirate. These are three things that come together in a powerful way. Bible, prayer, worship. Taking the time to read the Bible. Open the Bible. You say, I don't understand it. Yes, you do. If you mean you don't understand all of it, well, no freaking kidding, neither do I. But you understand some of it. Do you understand, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life? Does that, does that, do you understand that? You can read something that you understand. It might take you ten minutes to get to something you understand. Ten minutes, seriously? You want to see Jesus? Read the Bible. Be a person that's in the Bible. Let the Bible speak to you. Pray. Pray. Take some time to pray. Lift up some things to God. You say, oh, no, no, I pray all day. No, you don't. 
Yeah, I just talked to God all day. Okay, but you're not, okay, but can't you take 10 minutes? Can't you take five minutes? And say, I'm going to pray. God, thank you for this. Worship. Say, I'm not musical. What does that have to do with it? Thank you, God, you rock! Ah, is worship. You can do that. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, the Bible says. You can do that. Yeah? And these things are meant to bring life, not death. Do these three and you'll live. Ignore them and to your own peril, I think, really. They're true paths of life, and here you'll see Jesus. Number, f- number three, you build relationships with like-hearted people. Like-hearted people. Not like-minded. You're never going to find somebody you agree with, <laughs> agree about everything, right? Like-minded, like-hearted. True? Nina and I are like-hearted, are we not? Mike and I are like-hearted. I'm sure we have differences of opinion about this or that, but our hearts are in the same place. We want to follow Jesus. Sue, we're like-hearted, right? We have differences of opinion. It's okay. Just like Karen says, I've told you before, if two people agree on everything, then one of them is unnecessary. (laughs) Right? But we have the same heart. We have the same heart. Todd, we have the same heart. We go to India, we have the same heart, right? And we might have a difference of opinion, but we have the same heart. And we've seen Jesus together, have we not, Todd? We've seen Jesus together because our hearts are one. Our minds aren't always in agreement, but our hearts are always one. And you cultivate relationships with like-hearted people. Difference of opinion is good. But we find those areas where we're like-hearted. Yesterday, as we sat together with uh, breakfast with Alexander and Svetlana from Israel, some of you were able to come Friday night and see that Christ in the Passover thing, which just was awesome, incredible. Well, what you don't know is they stayed at our house. So, (laughs) yeah, so Karen made a nice dinner, and we had dinner together before that, and we stayed up late talking, and then we got up, Next morning, had a long breakfast together, and just wonderful, wonderful young couple. And just spending time with them. They loved you too, by the way. They had so many wonderful things to say about this fellowship. Those of you who were able to come last Friday night. That happens a lot. I bring people in, and they go, man, you got a great church. I go, I know. We were having breakfast with them, and, you know, we were hearing their testimony and hear about them, you know, growing up in Russia and stuff and then going to Israel and finding each other and stuff. And, you know, they're just in their late 20s. They're just a young couple. They have so much, so much to say. We're so blessed. I kind of changed the conversation at one point. I said, well, can I ask you something personal? They said, well, yeah, because they were kind of talking about, you know, the, the big story. I said, I want to know how you guys function together in the Holy Spirit. Now, the thing is, is Svetlana speaks hardly a word of English. So she was very quiet most of the time, right? Uh, That whole thing that she did in English, that was just memorized sound to her, right? Which she did a beautiful job. (laughs) She speaks very little English. So she sat a lot going, "Mm," like this. Anytime we want to talk to her, we have to talk to Alexander, who translated. And so this was going on. But as this is going on, the day before and then during that day, I just see that this woman is just full of the Lord. It was phenomenal. I mean, the Lord was just all over her. The Holy Spirit, 
the love of God was just pouring out of her eyes. And so God was, I felt like he was beginning to speak to me a little bit about her. And so I said, well, what I want to know, Alexander, is I want to know if Svetlana has the gift of discernment. And he goes, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, I believe that she can look into my heart right now and see what's in there. And she can, Karen was sitting next to me, and look into Karen's heart right now and see what's in her heart. And so he's like, <laughs> and here was his answer. He says, Svetlana says, yes, she has that gifting, but she says that she feels like she has to pray about it a lot more before God will release her to use it. Which I thought was a tremendous answer. Because, I mean, I want us to go, and I want us to move out, but sometimes we have these little hair triggers, right? Like, I got an idea, it must be from God, right? (laughs) So it's a beautiful thing. But then Alexander said the most interesting thing. He said, you know, he said, with regard to these gifts of the Holy Spirit, he said, we have a difference of opinion. Svetlana and Alexander. I said, oh, really? And he began to explain his modest difference of opinion. So they had a difference of opinion. But you know what? One of the things Karen said to me Friday night after they had gone to bed, she said, just, and, and Svetlana had hardly said a word, but just the way they related to one another, she said, boy, they really love each other, don't they? And I was like, yeah, they've only been married a year. Of course they still love each other, right? <laughs> Give them some time. <laughs> but there was a love that they had for each other that you could tell their hearts were one. Their hearts were one. Their minds were different, but their hearts we're one, and that's what I'm talking about. You want to see Jesus? Then you want to consistently associate with like-hearted people. And then number four, if you want to see Jesus, you've got to walk by faith. You've got to walk by faith, and I'm defining faith risk, R-I-S-K. You've got to take the risk. You've got to take the risk. You've got to be out there taking the chances. You've got to be out there taking the chances. The more chances we take in the faith, the more we see Jesus work. The more we hug the trunk, going, I'm going to stick right here. Fruit's out there, right? I think it's an interesting paradox. I think that if you want to see Jesus, you have to walk by faith. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. But when we walk by faith, what? He shows up when we see him. And so I don't know where you are in that. But just considering the opportunities that are in front of you in your life, are you walking by faith? Are you taking the risk? Are you living on the edge of the risk? I'm getting a word that some of you are way back on that center of your universe thing, aren't you? That's like way back there. I haven't even got past that yet. But I guarantee you, I guarantee you that if these four things are true realities in your life, I guarantee you that you are seeing Jesus. And if you come to me and say, those four things are true realities in my life and I don't see Jesus, I'll quit my job. In fact, let me do this. Right now, is there a person in here right now who will say to me, those four things are dynamic realities in my life and I do not see Jesus? I want you to raise your hand. How many... I'm going to quit right here. I'm going to walk off the stage and not come back.
myself right now. Holy mackerel. Man, that was close. Man. Look, how many, Jesus, how many eyes did Jesus open? Lots. And there were two guys, they were blind and they were calling out to Jesus. And the crowd was trying to get them to be quiet. And Jesus said, what do you guys want? He said, we want to see. And Jesus said, all right. He was always happy to answer that prayer, wasn't he? You want to see Jesus? You want to move from being a Christian who hears about him and is kind of living on the leftovers of the stories to moving into having the truth of those stories move you, propel you into seeing the kingdom of God pour out in front of you, yeah? And it starts with that prayer. You know, I just want to see. Let's see what Jesus can do here right now. Let's do this. I think it's possible that there are some people in here today who after hearing that born again thing going, I'm ready. I'd like to give my life to Jesus. I'd like to begin my walk following Jesus. I'd like to be born again. And you're here today and you're saying, could somebody just help me? Could somebody just help me put together the words that are in my heart so that I can get this thing going? And if you're that person or those people, Todd and Kristen didn't know it, but they know now they're going to be standing right over by that door right over there. And they'll be here. And they will be happy to pray with anybody today who says, I want to start a walk with Jesus right now, right here. There are others of you here today who have physical things going on in your bodies and you want to be healed. Jesus still heals bodies. Are we seeing healings around here or what? And so what I want to have happen is in just a minute, I want to have some people come over here and stand up against this wall and facing out that way, saying, I'd like to be a person to pray a simple, powerful prayer for healing. And and here's how that prayer goes. This prayer says, Father, I thank you for your healing power. And I thank you for whoever you're praying for. Make that connection of thanksgiving with that person. And then take authority as a son or daughter of the living God, and say, in the name of Jesus, I command this pain to go. I command this healing to come. I curse those cancer cells. You take authority that Jesus has already given you. Right? And then you stop, and you ask him, is it better? You ask him, how better? On a scale of one to ten. If it was ten before, what is it now? And you keep praying until you get to zero. Because we've been seeing that happen around this place. So right now, as Todd and Kristen come up over here, and uh, anybody who would also like to be a person who would help people come to Jesus, you could come over here and stand with them and face that way, okay? And some of you who would like to pray for people who would like to be, be healed today, you come up right now, stand up, move your feet, come up right now and stand over here and face that way, okay? So people will know. You see, these are regular people. These are just... They're not professional Christians like me. They're, I mean, they're, they're in this because they love Jesus alone. And they're here to pray for you. And are, you are you guys saying you believe something will happen? Yeah? You guys. Yeah? This means yes. Yeah? Okay. So you believe if somebody comes after you and they're sick or hurting some way, you're going to pray that simple prayer for them, and God's going to touch them with healing power. Okay.
Okay, it's all about him. Good, more coming to pray. So what we're going to do now is we're going we're to worship the Lord. And if you're a person who's stirred to say, I want to start a relationship with Jesus, you just come up to this gang over here. If you're a person who's stirred and said, I'd like to receive prayer for healing in my body, then you come right over to these people over here and watch God work.